Across the country, students are heading back to class, but in Auckland, many of those classrooms are full to bursting as the cities cope with an immigration-driven spike in school-age population. It's a major headache for many principals around Tamaki Makoto, who are already juggling resources and teachers ahead of the latest role increase. A common complaint from schools spoken to by Nineteen is that the Ministry of Education failed to give them adequate warning of the projected growth. In some cases, prefab classrooms have been located at schools over the summer just so students have somewhere to sit. Patrick Gale is the principal of the country's largest school, Rangitoto College, on Auckland's North Shore. Last year, the school had 3,500 students enrolled. 2024, it started with a roll of 3,750. And more are anticipated. Patrick joins me now. Tēnā koe, Patrick. Good morning. And with him is Greg Pierce, immediate past president of the Auckland Secondary Principals Association. Mr. Pierce was at the helm of Orira College up the road from Nalangi Toto, but he's just started a new job in Queensland. Tēnā koe, Greg. Kia ora Good morning. Patrick, start with you. So you're already starting the year at Rangitoto more than Chaka. Yeah, we've we've ticked over to 3,800 students in the, on Friday. Uh, so our roles continue to grow. We've had um, 80 new enrolments since the end of last um, since the end of 2023. I've uh, had another 10 in the last week, uh, most of which has been driven by immigration. So it is putting pressure on our, our resources and our planning. We, we're anticipating growth, so we've we've got some systems in place, but it is certainly a uh, challenging time. So since we last got an update from you, the role's grown by 50. Yeah, well, we, we've had people coming and going a little bit. The role takes a while to settle down at the start of the year. We've had some students leave and, and others arrive. And, but, yeah, certainly we've um, the numbers are now settling down a little bit. Uh, we, we, we are currently over 3,800. We think we'll probably dial that back a little bit in the next uh, week or so. But um, this is our third full day in school, and certainly it's, it's bursting, it seems. How many classrooms are you short at the moment? The ministry have worked with us because we've, as I said, we've been projecting this growth. So we worked with the ministry, and they actually were worked very hard over the holidays to provide us with five extra spaces, classrooms. So we we've had to use some spaces which we wouldn't traditionally use for teaching in to have classes in, and we've we've literally got no space at any point in in our um, timetabling. So it's very constrictive, uh, but the ministry have um, helped us over the holidays to to at least have room to put these people in. Where are you putting the students then? Down at the library, in the gym? Uh, we've got some in the library. We've got um, our gyms are obviously needed for, for our PE classes. So we have we've got three gyms in full operation. We've got five new prefabs or five prefabs which were fairly dilapidated, which the uh, ministry has spent some money on bringing up to speed over the holidays. But again, the challenge has been as this growth is predicted to continue, and and therefore it's um, yeah staffing and all sorts that come along with that have been difficult to manage. Have you considered doing classes given it's summer outdoors? that you'd normally have indoors? Uh, well, we've, we've have some of our PE classes obviously outdoors, but <laughs> teaching outdoors means its own set of problems when it's been particularly hot in the last week or so, as I'm sure you can imagine, that had its own dangers. So that's not a pathway we want to go down if we can possibly help it. Now, Patrick, are you funded to accommodate 3,800 students? No, not at all. We're funded um, on our in-zone students, which um, so we've got uh, classrooms of about 2,800. So... All the rest of this is board-funded property that we're in at the moment. Uh, and, and as I said, some of these temporary buildings that we've got from the ministry in the meantime. So it is a definite squeeze and it is putting um, a, a lot of pressure on, on what we're hoping to do as a school.
Why are you only funded for 2,800 when you got 1,000 extra there? Because the ministry only fund um, in-zone students. Now, in, in the past, prior to this record bump of immigration, we've, we've been able to accept out-of-zone students. Uh, this year, we've only taken five out-of-zone students who've got no connection to the college, so that's put, um, put real pressure on there. We, we, are, we really don't want to split families up um, for our enrolment scheme, so we, you know, we've got sisters and others coming through, siblings, but that is, um, again, very, very challenging for us moving to the future. Looking at that role then, how many on your 3,800-strong role are out-of-zone students or international students? We've got uh, about 184 international students this year, um, and they're operating in a board-funded um, property. Obviously, that's a, a significant revenue stream for the, for the college. Uh, we've got a decreasing uh, out-of-zone proponent or proportion at the moment, um, so that's been dropping year on year for the last six years. Um, what is it this year at the moment? So we've got about uh, 1,300 this year, um, and that's come down from 1,500 the year before. So it's, it's dropping significantly, uh, but it, as I said, it, it's causing us um, challenging decision-making. Okay, well, one obvious solution could be to say to out-of-zoners, we don't have room for you, we don't have money for you. Why do you have so many out-of-zoners there? Well, I mean, that's, in, in the past, we've been able to accommodate them because uh, we've had no problems with record immigration and we've had space in the school. Obviously, we want the school to be, there's a demand for places at the school, and if we've got space, we want people to be able to come here. Uh, but what's happened here is a, a massive jump in immigration, which is putting huge pressure on alongside the intensification of um, the urban planning in our, within our zone, which has led to you know, much more housing become available. And those two things, factors have come together to create this demand and pressure. What about letting go of the international students? Um, as you'll probably be aware, international students are a, a huge part of our fund, funding in, in schools. And as I said, the board have actually paid for the classrooms that those students are in. So that's not taking places away from our domestic students. Um, they, are, they are, in fact, actually paying for the classrooms that our other domestic students are in at the moment. So without them, the problem gets it, it really, really bad. Without our right. So what proportion of your funding comes from those international students, roughly? Um, we, we, if we were a, a lower exit index, we'd probably get another 3 or $4 million from the government a year, uh, probably $4 million this year in operational funding. We obviously don't have that, and we try and make up that shortfall from our international students. Uh, that's been a challenge in the last couple of years because of COVID, but we, we're bouncing back quite well at the moment in terms of our, our student population coming in from overseas. Now, as I said in the intro, you're, one of the complaints from schools is you didn't get a warning from the ministry in terms of this spike in roll numbers. What did the Ministry of Education tell you to expect roll-wise this year? <laughs> um, well, the ministry's predictions and our predictions are always completely different, if I'm honest. Um, we, we get a prediction in uh, the, pri the previous year, and it's normally about two or 300 different to what we actually end up with. Um, so we, we work on our own planning. Um, this year, we, we did work very closely with the Ministry at the end of last year, and again, we had a difference of opinion in terms of where our numbers were going to end up. Uh, but sadly, um, they're much closer to where we thought they were going to be than where the Ministry thought, and that's created issues with the Ministry being able to um, provide us assistance. How did they get it wrong then? Um, I, I think you'll, from what I can understand in, in discussions with the ministry, is that there is very little conversation between the immigration department and the Ministry of Education. And equally, the numbers coming in are assumed to fall evenly across all of Auckland. We know that's not the case, that certain schools are potentially more in demand and are therefore bursting at the seams, and other schools slightly less so. So um, the, the modelling isn't applied at a, on a case-by-case -case basis. It's just assumed that the immigrants will fall evenly across all schools in Auckland, and we know that's not the case. 
Is it immigration that's driven this? Or is it you're a school which a lot of people want to enrol their kids at? Is that why you're bursting at the seams? I mean, it's a combination of the two. I think the immigrants are coming into New Zealand with a very clear idea of where they want their um, sons and daughters to be schooled. We know we've got a, a lot of people moving out of zone into our zone to access Rangatoro College, which um, is great for us. It's a lovely position to be in, what, you know, having all these people um, wanting to come to the school. I think last year we had a, a waiting list of 700 students at year nine who we turned away. So that's, that's a positive for us, but equally it does bring with it some managing, management issues. Does that mean that there are other schools, if people are rolling out of zone, where they don't have the same problem because the parents don't want to send their kids to the local school? I, I think those schools are, are filling up as well. I think all schools are growing. Um, certainly, I know with us turning away more out-of-zone students this year, that's led to other schools um, filling up very quickly, uh, which is positive. So the, the whole system is under stress rather than individual schools. I think some individual schools like ours are, are, are particular cases. Um, but certainly other schools are also feeling um, the pinch as we grow pretty rapidly. You're listening to Nine to Noon on RNZ National. I'm Brian Crump, and I'm speaking to Patrick Gale about the shortage of space to accommodate a big growth in the role at Rangitoto College and other colleges around Auckland. Also listening is Greg Pierce, who was up the road principal at Oreira College, but now he's in Brisbane. He was the president of the Auckland Secondary Principals Association, why did you move to Australia, um, Greg? <laughs> uh, no, a unique professional opportunity arose, and ironically, of I'm in a school which has got a very similar uh, challenge that Patrick's just been explaining in the middle of uh, South Bank in Brisbane. And uh, yeah, but Patrick and Rangatoto College, they're probably the extreme example of a problem that's been looming for a while. And I do remember in a meeting with the ministry in about 2020, uh, someone saying that secondary school growth will probably there'll be an extra 20 to 30,000 students by the end of 2030. So when you look at the fact that there are over 100 secondary schools in Auckland and about 140,000 students, uh, if every school grows by a couple of percent, you get to that 30,000 over a 10-year period. And that's what's happening, especially it's been exacerbated by the record year of immigration growth. So been you've been out. arguing that actually this 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 crisis has yeah we we know we've known it's coming. You've seen the people moving into Auckland, you've seen yep. the population growth. So why is the ministry failing to accommodate for this? I guess it's a that fine line of balancing resources, and obviously. Uh, if you haven't got the resources, you have to spread them the most effectively way you can. And the fact is that uh, there aren't enough resources to appropriately accommodate this, this growing role issue. And yeah, my predecessor at the Auckland Secondary Schools Principal Association and his predecessor, would first and foremost, we have been saying this for probably the best part of 10 years now, and it's coming home, home to roost, unfortunately. And Greg, I, I kind of got to say, um, your decision to jump the Tasman is hardly a ringing endorsement of the future of the Auckland school system or New Zealand school system, Greg. Yeah, I do need to stress I didn't leave uh, because of my frustrations with the New Zealand system. It was a unique international opportunity that arose and and I wasn't getting any younger, so I took it. <laughs> uh, you're, you're the principal of Brisbane State High School and an interesting yeah. thing you said just then is what? Some of what we're dealing with in Auckland, they're also dealing with in Australia? Uh, correct. Uh, we have approximately, it's been estimated that 20% of our first year enrolments are in zone 
and then relocate throughout Brisbane after that first year, which is another whole complex situation. And we have hundreds of students on the waiting list, as the Rangatoto also has. So it's a really challenging situation, and there are schools that are under capacity. And so we're in discussions at the moment about how we can work together to ensure that schools are effectively getting resourced at a right level to accommodate students across the board. The other the other point I'd like to point out is that on average the number of teacher graduates into training has been reducing at Auckland University over a number of years. Uh, for example, last year there were approximately 150 secondary schools uh, teacher graduates. And schools like Rangatata College where Patrick is, they'd probably take could take 10 to 15 of those for a start. That leaves the other 110 secondary schools in Auckland competing against each other for those uh, declining number of teacher graduates, which we need in increasing numbers. Yeah, getting back to you, Patrick, how are you placed for teachers? We've just been talking about classrooms. Yeah, we're, we're fully staffed currently. We've got uh, 236 teachers on our roll this year. Um, so we've hired from globally to try and uh, avoid the issues which Greg references. We've got 22 new teachers with us this year. Um, so that's first-year teachers, so uh, again, a high proportion. Uh, we've lost some of our teachers um, to outside of Auckland due to the cost of living uh, issues associated with Auckland. So it is an ever, it's, it's always a challenge here, always a challenge. Uh, we've just got, we've got one advert in at the moment for a math teacher, and we are literally going out globally to try and see if we can um, solve that. And in the meantime, we're um, kind of doing a little bit of band-aiding to make sure we get through because we had uh, one unexpected um, resignation at the start of the year. Sounds like the simple solution is we just need to build more classrooms, Patrick. Um, there's no point building classrooms if you don't have teachers to teach in them. Okay. So the number, number one problem is to sort out the teacher supply. And the classrooms, um, yes, that's an issue. And it's an issue in some schools, not all schools. Teacher supply is an issue in every single school. Is it yeah. really just a case that we're just not putting enough money into education to cope with the population? Um, obviously, we've got um, issues with recruiting people into education. Um, so that's something that needs to be looked at in terms of um, salaries and, and cost of training and those sorts of things and, and models of training. So that's uh, I think there's some, some some good changes we can make there. Uh, and then we need to look at actually the funding of the schools because my understanding is the Minister of Education doesn't actually have much money to solve these problems. Uh, and, and I also think there's some efficiencies that can be gained in some of their processes which would enable more money to go into buildings rather than into consultation and, and people and those sorts of things where money can get used up pretty quickly. Greg, the situation, as you say, in Australia is similar. The one thing that strikes uh, me is we yeah. just happen to be in in countries where people from other parts of the world want to move to, and therefore we have to accommodate them if we're going to have immigration, immigration coming in. So what's the difference in Australia, if any? Uh, to be honest, my initial responses are there are very few differences, and I know there's a significant shortage in the UK of, of teacher graduates and quality teachers as well. So it is a bit of a Western world phenomenon at the moment, uh, like a lot of other industries, I guess. Uh, it's interesting that Queensland's looking at, well, they have brought in flexibility of four-day weeks and a earlier starting and later finishing times for schools. And I know principals, secondary school principals in Auckland for years have been innovatively uh, looking at timetable and staggering starts and finishes and so forth when you have got staffing shortages. And unfortunately, if we uh, keep on getting the same level of resourcing, uh, that's possibly a road that we're going to have to go down. Otherwise, schools need to be resourced appropriately.
Greg, do you still think, and I know you've moved to Australia now, yeah. but then Australia also faced this. Are we still recovering from the impact that um, COVID had on yeah. teaching, on education, and the disruption it caused yeah. uh, dealing yeah. with that pandemic? Uh, definitely. I mean, if you talk to any secondary school principal or any principal of in, in any sector, the complexities uh, and anxieties of students has increased. And the communities that we serve, uh, levels of anxiety have also increased. So teaching has not become an easier role. And in New Zealand in particular, with the NCEA assessment changes and the New Zealand curriculum review, they're massive and ongoing. And that's been occurring at the same time as the last four years of disrupted learning for staff and students. So you put all that together, and unfortunately you can see why there probably aren't increasing number of uh, school leavers looking at going into into the vocation, unfortunately. Do you which concur, I still have Patrick? To say is a fantastic one. Sorry, what were you saying there, Greg? Which the I fantastic still have to aspect. By saying it is a fantastic vocation to be in, and uh, you know I thoroughly subscribe to encouraging uh, those candidates in year 12 and 13 who have got those attributes to go into uh, education because it is a fantastic career, but the last four years have been unprecedented in terms of the complexities. Patrick, do you wish that maybe, given we've got through this pandemic, that we delayed the curriculum changes to give schools a bit of breathing space with hindsight? Yeah. Um, my, my take on that is that the they, they got, the, got it all wrong in terms of implementation. The NCA should have been um, adjusted after the curriculum review had been done. Um, they've got the cart before the horse. And uh, I know we've a lot of people have opted out of level one this year. Uh, I believe levels, the new level two and level three are still in, in a planning mode. But my personal preference is that they, they were delayed and we get the curriculum sorted out first and foremost. Uh, and then we can work on our assessment system once we know what we're meant to be teaching. Greg, when I was talking to Patrick earlier, I pointed out that, okay, Rangitoto is very popular, but maybe other schools where people aren't wanting to send their kids are not under the same pressure. Greg, because you were principal of the Principals Federation for Auckland, the president, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would you agree that um, some schools haven't had to deal with this in Auckland, or is it now because of population growth affecting everyone? Uh from my experiences and talking with colleagues, the problem is widespread of uh, enrolment growth, uh, regardless of your community or socioeconomic area. But it's more so in certain pockets. Uh, obviously, the North Shore and Oriwa College has also uh, got similar challenges uh, up the, in the Rodney area there as well. And I know Flatbush, for example, has disproportionately had to deal with this as well. And it's predominantly where a large number of, of immigrants uh, tend to go. But overall, schools are still seeing uh, growth. Patrick, would you like the new government to tighten the migration tap further? Um, I, I would like the new government to provide resourcing to school, which enables us to operate really effectively, regardless of migration. Because you probably would like to attract more teachers from overseas, and pretty much every sector in New Zealand feels the same way, yet we also have to deal with the price of immigration. Yeah, I'm, it's how we provide easier access for those key professions that we need to attract into New Zealand is 
is important. I think there's some significant improvements that could be made with um, Immigration New Zealand and, and the Teaching Council to enable um, the process for teachers to come to New Zealand to be a lot, lot easier and a lot quicker. Uh, and so, but the, the new government is aware of this, and I believe they're working towards those efficiencies. We've we've seen some some positive steps already in terms of some of the changes around, or some of the discussion around curriculum reviews and those sorts of things, and the importance of reading and writing, which will hopefully uh, provide a solution to some of the issues caused by the COVID disruption, which Greg referenced earlier. And getting back to those three thousand eight hundred students, are you going to have to teach some of them in makeshift classrooms all year? Uh, we we will be we are planning to be teaching in the buildings which we currently occupy. If we continue to grow, then we will have a greater problems. Uh, as I said, we've already got parts of our library being utilised for classrooms, which we is far from ideal from our perspective. Patrick, Greg, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Uh, thank you very much. All the best, Patrick. <laughs> See ya. Cheers, Greg. That's Patrick Gale. Principal of Rangitoto College, also speaking to me about, well, it seems like it's a trans-Tasman crisis in accommodating growing school roles. Greg Pierce, who was the principal of Oriora College, but he's recently moved to Brisbane, is now principal of the Brisbane State High School in Queensland, Australia.